Creator Shop of Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast all about friend and web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris. Hey. Thanks hey. for having me, Dave. Oh, Always thank a pleasure. You. Thank you for paying Shop for this show. Uh, Riverside FM. So, Chris, sure. who do we have in the studio today? I forget, I forget who pays for this. Jim Nielsen's here. What's up, Jim? Hello, everyone. Friend of the show, past, uh, past, past member, I believe. Alumni and... Uh, yeah, you were in the Discord for a while. Discord member, yeah. Yeah, right on. Yeah, Jim, Jim, if you don't know him, is a bit of a thinker on the web. Really one of those must-subscribes, one of those good good RSS feeds. Although, Jim, I got to tell you, intervention here, you don't make it easy. You know, you got you go to jimnielsen.com. There's no link to the blog. You got to just know. It's a subdomain, you know. And then Jim has this incredible blog that uh, he, you know, you, cause he has the think blog and then he has like what I'm reading with thoughts that are just equally great blogs. You should subscribe. Really? I'm not blowing smoke. They're good, but you can't find, you have to go to the about page to find the, the reading blog. You got just smash them together or something. I mean, you do you, but it's too hard to find. Uh, anyway, subscribe to both. You should, everybody. Great stuff. And I thought um, we, maybe we'd just pick out a few favorites, you know, and, and Jim's, you're you're quick to jump on the like, let's blog back and forth thing, old school style. Gotta love that. That's the most fun. That's my whole content strategy, to be honest. I'm just echoing what I read from other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. It's working. But you kind of make connections <laughs> Uh, in an interesting way and then call out usually the the kind of the juiciest bits and uh that's not easy to do so cheers um are you are you ready do you have any uh any news to share how's life how are the kids uh good you know it's 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 leap day leap leap day of leap year today and i mean yeah i couldn't be happier than to just spend my extra what better way to spend the extra day that you get than to just be on the shop talk show and Talk about web stuff. Yeah, indeed. Well, thanks. So the, you know, why, why don't we just jump into some topics? The people out there, they want to, uh, they want to know. The, I, I love this one. Recently, we'll just kind of go, you know, in reverse chronological order, like any good blog would. Is that I'm sure you saw recently? You know, Anil's got a gift for, of putting his finger on hot button stuff. He had a great one recently about the subversiveness of podcasts. Dave and I mentioned it on a podcast not long ago, how when a podcaster, which a lot of them very naturally do, we do say, you know, listen to us in your podcatcher of choice, that that's like a symptom of like a, you know, he, what did he call it? A radical choice or a subversive thing or something? I oh, got, I'm sorry, Neil. I I read the post. I just can't remember your exact choice of words, but that it's, it's cool. And he was calling out open technology for doing that and how kind of rare it is these days. And it's like, it's the fact that podcasts are, are this RSS based thing. Although, you know, Shopify would do what they can to destroy that if they could, but that because they are, it's this open technology that anybody can do. And that's just kind of this amazing thing. And I think you, I don't know if you pointed to that necessarily, but your post was that even just links are subversive in a way. And that so many companies try to push it down in a way, like famously Instagram's like only one link in your bio and no links in the descriptions. And, you know, Apple's like, you can link to stuff sometimes, but not if it's payment information or like, wait, if that link has any information about how you would pay elsewhere 
or something. It's just funny that way. Did you remember? Can you expand on your your thoughts on how how just the the humble HTML link is subversive? I mean, it's I I think I had a, another post. I don't know maybe a year or two ago that was kind of on the same idea of, I just thought it was interesting how Apple announced they would finally allow developers to link outside of the app. Right. And that was like a big no, no, like you could just get your app removed from the app store if you did that. And it was just basically like, all you're doing is adding a link. It's such a common thing that you can do for free anytime you want to anywhere that you want. If you have a website, but if you have an app, we're talking like million dollar lawsuits that are going on about whether you can add a single link in an app that goes to your website, which just kind of sounds crazy. And I think really, uh, you know, contrast the differences between an app in the app store and a website on the web and the differences between the two. And to sort of go into a little bit more, have that lead into what Anil was saying. I think I wrote another post too that was on the same idea of I think it's interesting that if you follow the money, people are actually paying money to put advertisements in podcasts where they're not actually saying anything like, go to the App Store and download our app. They're saying, find us in your podcatcher of choice. They're not pointing to any sort of centralized entity. They're like, they're literally paying money to say that, which I think is like a win for the web because. Um, if you can get people to be spending money to direct people to nowhere in particular, like just a show, not necessarily. All you have to say is, "Hey, we got one of those things. Go yeah. find it." You don't don't you don't have to go to Spotify and download their app to then get access to our content. It's just wherever you find yeah, it. It would like, be a worse ad. It would be a less effective ad if they said, "Go to Spotify and find us," because then somebody that has Apple Podcasts they might be like, "Oh, bummer, I don't use Spotify." But that's not what they meant. They didn't mean go to Spotify. They meant just use the one you already got. And we don't know which one you already got, so we just got to say it that way. Like they were almost strong-armed into not saying which platform <laughs> yeah, it is. Exactly. And like wouldn't it be amazing if uh you could extrapolate that out into the future? where people could say that about anything. If you're a YouTube influencer, you wouldn't have to say, oh, go to my YouTube. You could just say, follow me in your content consumption uh, app of choice. And that could be following a blog, following a, uh, a YouTube video, following you know music, following podcasts. Like, I, I think there could be a lot of potential in this in this space if we could figure out how to and i think podcasts are leading in in this area like but it'd be really cool if we could figure out how to do that for blogs and and video and audio and anything else anybody wants to make you know it reminds me of those like you ever see like an ad that's just like for for just like pork you're like you delicious white pork <laughs> you're like who paid for that how is that doesn't matter <laughs> like the, the pork. in your pork catcher of choice. <laughs> it's like the old milk commercials, like got milk. Uh, yeah, who's whose milk? Uh, whose milk are we talking here? Yeah, they they definitely mean not nut milk, but you <laughs> or know almond milk. Yeah. So and then in our and podcasts are leading. I agree, but are built on the foundation of RSS. Obviously, much less popular phenomenon, but still share the same characteristics such as you know you can just provide a feed and then people can play with it in all sorts of other 
contexts. You know, they can read it through a, a reader. They can build an app that sucks it down and uses it however they want to. It, it exemplifies the same type of like cool freedoms. And what I, I guess it was last week's show day. I can't even remember. We we kind of talked about how Git is similar and that it's just this protocol. You know, it's just this thing that you can use. And a lot of people use GitHub because it offers some nice things, but like you don't have to. You can use any number of other Git providers or nothing or just use Git between your computers and stuff. But these kind of protocol level things have the, are subversive in that way that you're not trapped to any one particular thing. It shares those same characteristics that are cool. Not to follow on another blog post, but uh, the, I had another one recently that was about files, which is kind of the same thing of files are amazing because you can have any third party sort of manipulate and work on your data, right? So if you have a text file, you can open it in Sublime and Visual Studio and whatever text editor of choice you want to open it and you can open it, right? But like if you have a Notion doc, that's Notion only. And if, you know, if Notion one day gets bought or who knows what, and you never know, obviously, what can happen. Um, who knows what happens to your data? There's no Notion file. Right. That's a row in their database somewhere. That's not your file. You know, they support exporting of sorts, you know. That's, yeah, that's tricky. I, I do like that, though. Isn't it funny to compare like like Sketch versus Figma then? And it's like Figma may have won because they don't have the the dot sketch file sitting there because like that then became users had to be like well what are we going to do now keep it in a dropbox do we need google drive for our team too to keep those files in and figma's like nah don't even worry about that not that i'm like defending that necessarily but i do kind of see the see the advantage of it and see why it was probably a ultimately a competitive advantage for them one one feature i wanted or still do, but like for, for Luro, like we collect a lot of data, Lighthouse runs, blah, blah, blah. Like you, I, I always, I think it's valuable to like maybe offer like a CSV export or something for like all these tables of data we're building. Cause I just, I feel like, you know, to, to use Luro in your workflow, you have to come to Luro and look at this data and maybe copy paste it over. But like, It'd be so easy to insert ourselves into somebody else's workflow or somebody's existing workflow if we just exported a CSV and then, you know, we didn't have to build an integration to, uh, you know, to wh whatever app, Coda or Excel Online 365 Business Edition. We just like, just let you download a file and then you have it and now you do whatever you want with it. It's going to go stale in a week, but like, good luck. Have it, have it. I want you to have that, you know? seems like a nice thing to do. I don't know. The thing about hyperlinks that gets me, you know, I, I you know, your boy Dave loves The Verge and I go to The Verge. When I read an article on The Verge, it could be about like Apple's new iPad or um, whatever, the Volvo XC90 electric is coming out with 24 florps or whatever. And they don't link me to the like product that just drives me out, like just drives me up a wall. Cause I, you're telling me about a thing. You kind of sold me on the Apple Vision Pro. You could drop an affiliate link and I might go buy it. Why don't you link out? You just really want me to stay in your little content silo. Really? Oh, no. 
That's obnoxious. Like the New York Times definitely does that, right? Yeah, like, New York Times is a great example, you know, like they just don't link you to like what they're talking about, you know, they just kind of. Yeah, when it's like, when it's like that grade A journalism, you like, you almost kind of get it because the, the nature of SEO and how it influences the web and stuff might influence the journalism in a way, like I sort of get it. But I mean, and I guess the verge is journalism, but anyway, what do you think, Jim? Uh, I was just saying like, that is a tricky one because the SEO part of it, it's like you don't want to lend credibility necessarily sometimes to some of the things you're talking about. And But by linking to them, you're sort of lending this, this credibility of like, oh, the New York Times linked to me. Like people would pay good money to have the New York Times linked to their website. And but if you're doing something shady or and the New York Times writes about you, it's it's kind of like, well, we don't want to link to you because that, you know, whatever the technical underpinnings of a search engine and stuff are, like all of a sudden the New York Times is linking to you. And so it's like, oh well, they must be credible. The New York Times is linking to them. Like Yeah. Yeah. I guess it does. Yeah. I mean, well, and is but is that a problem with the internet or search engine? Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, the policy should just be rel, no rel. Isn't there a rel attribute that solves this problem? Yeah. No uh, refer, not no refer, but it's kind of like, this is like, don't give any credit to this link. It's just a functional link only. I forget what the value is. I'll find it. I have it on somewhere on my site. It should be a, like a CMS decision kind of thing. But yeah, I, to me, the Verge sits squarely. No follow. No follow. Yeah, it, yeah rel, the Verge no is squarely in the like, y'all need to be linking to stuff. Y'all need to be hot Lincoln a lot <laughs> for sure that's a, that's a pet peeve is because I do it all the time too Dave like I'm reading the article and I expect a link to be right there on those words I just read like XC90 with four fluorofrops or whatever you call it uh, why I can't click right there and so then I like highlight the text copy paste it into Google and try to find the link that refers to what they were talking about yeah it's just a man there's Skip. that. And, you know, it's even worse, though, is when they do link it. And then it's just to, like, the tag of that thing on With their the own site. Yeah, just to the homepage of Volvo. And it's like, we tried. So, yeah. yeah. Just, they they yeah. just internally link it or make it some hover thing that shows an ad. Did you know, how top of mind is this? Did you know that, like, it, there's some Canadian law that, like, if you link out to a news site, you have to pay the news site to do that? Oh, really? So like, like, for example, if you like search some news and Google search engine pages link to the news, Google agreed to pay a hundred million Canadian to those news organizations just for the right to link to them. And so, and Meta was in the same bucket, right? So with Facebook. And so instead of paying anything, Facebook just says, no, nah, we'll just block all news. So if you're in Canada, there's just no news on Facebook because Facebook's like, no, I'm not going to pay you to link to you. You should pay me. It's like it's like a reversal of expectation. You know, it just doesn't make any sense at all. You know, and it's like I'm not like trying to go to war for Meta because screw Meta. But but like I agree with them on this. I can't be paying you to link to you. Mm -mm. No, I, I was just gonna say that's i've not heard that that's pretty wild i don't even know how you it's relatively new i'm gonna drop how it. you police that well that was like an early web debate like a long time like like hotwired or whatever <laughs> like this this was debated chatting. during the hotwired era you know and just like 
oh, if you're going to link to me, you need to pay. But, but I, I wonder if that, if this is specifically sort of about like, um, if you're going to be like stealing news and surfacing it as a product, you know, like inside your application, you need to pay news outlets that are informing your product or whatever. Sort of like how you'd pay the AP to get a feed of AP news, right? Or something like that. But Yeah, it, it, it's funny because I feel like, I think you guys talked about this on a recent episode too. It, it kind of ties into the whole let AI browse the web for me thing where, I don't know, I I really like following links down the internet. Like that's, I'd much rather have a, 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 just follow links around the internet than just have like a feed that's an algorithmic driven feed that tells me what I think I would like. I'd rather just, you know, sort of old school 90s web, you end up on like something like Wikipedia and you're just opening all these tabs and all these links. That looks interesting. That looks interesting. And you go down this rabbit hole of links and that's what makes browsing the internet fun to me. And, and so this idea of like, uh, let a robot tell me what this page says, um, takes all the fun out of like the internet. (laughs) I don't know that that's just me, but uh, it it, kind of comes back to the linking again of, I, I really like following links and, uh, that's like the fun part of using the web. Yeah. Well, I should say we got a, a listener uh, submitted a question or, or a comment, I guess, from Alec uh, Gregory. Just Gregory was saying, like, I've been following the reaction to Arc Search. I was a little taken aback to hear it be negative. And, and he's just saying he loves it. It's useful. Like, uh, and then he has two, three examples here. One to like just do a little quiz with his kids at the table, you know, like how far is San Francisco from Bristol and like, you know, didn't have to like pull out the map and do directions or, you know, like just, it just told you, you know, and, and that was a pretty useful, uh, like quick way to do it. Um, watched poker face and wanted to know if it'd been renewed for a second season and you Google and you get all this junk, like, you know, whatever spoilers spoilers spam crap actor interviews crap like that and then um arc was like yes it has like (laughs) done you know like that's cool um and then the last one was like a footbridge in the community they live in and um you know and it's like now closed and there's a saying like this hasn't been fixed in five years. There's like a banner hung up. And like, so he's just was like, why, what is happening with this bridge? And then it's, uh, you know, then it came back. Like, you know, it's not just angry next door posts. It's like, it's being worked on and here's like a history of the bridge and why it was broken and stuff like that. So anyway, I like, those are three anecdotes, you know, like, so I may, what what I don't know. What, what do you think? I just need to add that the third one, he, he goes on to say that then with the footbridge in his neighborhood, which is, I mean, an insanely hard thing to search on the internet. Like, what are the chances of the bridge in your neighborhood coming up? It did. It found information on it. It gave him the information that he wanted. And then it cited a source of the website where it found that information. He clicked the link to the source and then went and learned more and figured out how they got that information. And that's why he's saying, oh, it actually made me browse the web maybe more than I would have. 
eh, maybe questionable there. But the source thing is very interesting to me. So now all of a sudden it's AI driven, but it's saying where it got the information clearly. I, I see little examples of this here and there where AI is like happy to show you the source where it got information and sometimes where it's just more than happy to totally wipe that information away. And to me, it's very night and day how different those things are. Like if you're saying where you got the information and linking to it, I'm all like, woo, you did it. Good job, nerds. You figured out how to make the internet better. Thanks for the link. That's what Google's doing forever. I wish they would just do that more better. Um, but as soon as you like wipe the link away, don't say where you got it, don't link to it, then I'm like, screw you. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, I think I wrote a, another post about this of like, why are elementary school kids held to a higher standard of like citing your sources than than AI yeah, like, you from do a billion dollar companies? Yeah, yeah, like you you get an automatic F if you if there's something in there that you didn't cite your source or it looks like plagiarized and you didn't say anything like that's an F. And, and and I'm kind of I think Dave you said this on a previous podcast. I'm still not to that level of that I trust the AI summary, um, especially like with some things because I've done this too, like. I want to just have some good dad jokes, like back of the Laffy Taffy jokes, oh, right? Oh, yes. And like, oh, that's... A- finding that on the internet is hard, but with AI or, or you just ask a bot, like, it's great. Like, and there's no sort of like factuality relevant there versus even a simple example of like, how, what's a good example? What's a good recipe for some pancakes? Um, if it says two cups of flour or three cups of flour like that's a big difference and i don't know like ultimately who wrote that and uh, or if it says three tablespoons versus five tablespoons i want to kind of check my sources on that and be sure that ai is not just you know munging that into who knows what yeah if kenji alt lopez tells me three i'm in but if it's if it's google bard I'm out, you know, right. Like, I, exactly. I need to know who came up with the three number. Right. Yeah. Um, there was a good post over on Kotki, uh, over, um, who linked to, I said link. That's right. Uh, to yeah. the verge, our friends, the verge, um, we should just try to get the verge on here. Like just to round out, just to round out the shop talk story. Anyway, we'll get, uh, what's his name from the verge. Um, but we uh, think yeah. he'll just pop right on. Dude, yeah. what's he doing? He's not doing anything. He can come on. Um, <laughs> it, it was this interesting, like just this idea, like that cocky was for the first few decades of the web. The tacit agreement was that web crawlers could take data from sites in exchange for traffic back. But now our, our AI crawlers, including Google, taking too much and offering too little in return. Yeah, it was a good way of putting it, wasn't it? Like, it used to be cool that you crawled our sites and made search results and linked and and there was like a handshake agreement and that we could, if we told you not to, you probably wouldn't and stuff. And that's like starting to evaporate on the mm-hmm. web a little bit. I think I got that from you, Jim. Like, you, you're the, one of the first persons I read to blog that you're like, do you even trust uh, AI company to read your little robots.txt file and not crawl your site. <laughs> you, I think you found it laughable. And I agree. Yeah. I, I think I put a little picture in there. Of, it's like those signs when you go to like a national park and it says, do not go beyond this point. And then there's just like a whole group of people standing out on the ledge. <laughs> and nobody just reads these signs. On the nobody edge of the Grand attention. Canyon getting a yeah. photo, down photo. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we're just going to get the good press from, from saying we support it. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Elicit, the AI research assistant. Elicit makes it much easier to find and understand scientific papers. I first learned about Elicit when we had their designer Maggie Appleton on the podcast last September. Excellent episode. Maggie rules. Go listen to it. Uh, since then, it's been my first stop for any science question, and I can't recommend it enough. They reached out to us because they're a team of just 10 people helping more than 200,000 researchers every month. So now they're looking for another exceptional engineer to join them. I think it's a great opportunity to join an early, fast-growing startup with a pro-social mission. I know many of you love tools for thought, you know, end-user programming, computational notebooks. That's exactly what they're looking for. If that's you, go to elicit.com slash shop talk to apply. That's E-L-I-C-I-T dot com slash shop talk. Check it out. Chris, for you, like having run CSS tricks for all those years and kind of got out of the game a little bit, sort of right before the whole AI slurping up all of your info and giving you no credit. And now you're just sort of on CodePen, which seems a little bit, I don't know, maybe it's over a little bit immune to that, or at least more so than CSS tricks was. Well, I don't know if it is. Maybe. Do you feel like, I guess, what's your, what's your sort of posture on that? And, and, how worried are you or are you not with co with CodePen exclusively now versus if you were still running CSS tricks? I would have put that freaking robots.txt on there immediately. That's for sure. But well, would that have let you sleep at night or would you still? No, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, the entire history of CSS tricks and partially because it had an RSS feed, it was scraped incredibly. Like, you, you know... You'd wake up and, you know, back in the, the day when I had my, like, WordPress has this feature like XML RPC or something in it, or it's probably changed. I, I forget what it is. It's the thing that makes, like, pingbacks work, you know? You'd get, like, you know, three, four emails from some blogs you'd never heard of um, that are linking to you. You get a little pingback from them, and then you click and see what it is, and it's like, oh, a new scraper site, neat. And that you're getting a pingback because there's, like, links inside the article that it just scraped to two CSS tricks articles that they didn't bother to change to their own URL. You know, they just scraped it wholesale. And it's like, would I wake up and try to like figure out who that company was and get a takedown request? And no, I just hit archive on the email. Who cares? You know, there was a like little fun little tricks you could do like, at, like at, in the RSS feed, you'd, put a link that linked back to CSS tricks, like the, you know, like the original rel canonical, this article originally published on the, and nobody would ever bother to scrape that out of the feed. So in some twisted way, they were kind of given you SEO, but that can be dangerous because sites that then get listed as spammy who link to sites, you get kind of like negative SEO for, or theoretically, because as, as I know to this day, nobody has ever really known how SEO works. You know, there is no published formula for how this stuff works. And when somebody like me says, you get negative SEO for it, I don't know. I, how would I know? You know, 
mm-hmm. work there. I don't, I think if anybody knows that stuff, they're sworn so hard to secrecy, they'd probably be in prison if they said that on in live. Anyway, um, so I, I, I went off on that, but it's, it's not that different to me than the AI stuff, except for that the AI stuff's almost grosser because it's not link driven. It's almost yeah. more gross feeling to me that this gets stolen and slurped up and reused with no credit at all. And they, and they didn't ask in the first place. Uh, yeah, no, that's kind of interesting. Like what can we expect over the next 10 years? Well, probably a lot of the same thing that happened with the SEO game of trying to trick and all the weird things that can come out of that. And the only thing that's like different is that they just don't give you any credit that they don't like, <laughs> there's no like source link, but otherwise it might just be the same game again of instead of search engine optimization, it's a AI, AIO. AIO. It's funny that like there's a playbook for being, really highly successful in tech and and it, it you know like it reminds me of like how do you get to be like a great rock band well you have to do a bunch of heroin you have to drink until you're almost dead and then you'll write the greatest you know blues rock song ever after you wake up from you know near death experience in a hotel room you're like that sucks that's not how it has to work there's lots of examples otherwise but sure if that's the lesson you take from that great there's the lesson of like uber like yeah we'll just break all the laws we'll roll into a town and then and then we'll be like hey you can't let us leave now look at how useful we are we're amazing or airbnb like we don't have to follow any laws let's just break all the laws but look how useful we are, you know? And then OpenAI is like, we'll just slurp up the entire internet and ask nobody and then be like, hey, you can't kick us out now. Look how useful we are. It's like, how many times does that have to happen? Just, that's just the playbook. I mean, even before the internet, like that was just the mob shakedown, right? Like, oh, it would be a shame if anything happened to uh, this yeah. very useful thing in your community. Right. You're going to need a little protection, I think. <laughs> I hate the when people are like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. That's like, I'm just like, yeah, you can write one law and then like the whole state of things. Like you just say it's illegal or it's immoral, you know? I don't know. Like, I guess you can write thou shalt not steal and everyone's like, except... <laughs> For like cool images. But they're like, ooh, but it'll help me write my cover letter and I'm going to actually let that one slide. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, like how would I feel? I don't know. I just feel like it's not well, but powerless, you know? Ooh, God, that's a dark one. (laughs) 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 We just take that out of context. Uh, No, I feel that on Accessibility Project. Just, you know, like we have open submissions and I pitched to the group, like maybe we have to take that down because it's just... I don't know who these people are like, and then like, you know, just showing up and barfing garbage and like, Oh, here's an idea. And I put it in chat GPT and now give me money. You know, it's like, Oh, like I, I, you know, I don't have enough time to edit your chat GPT nonsense. You know, like I don't, I don't even right. have time to edit, edit human generated nonsense, but so I'm just, anyway, but it's just, it's a pro it's like, it's hard. So I feel like there's like, you need that human connection to make it work, you know, um, human to human stuff. So I should also point out, I feel like we've got to be careful when I talk about CSS tricks and the fact that I feel like both you probably wrote for it at some point and that whatever Sarah Dresner was a staff writer at some point, Robin Rendell wrote the newsletter. 
Joff was the editor. There's a lot more people than just me. So when I make these big pronunciations, it would probably have to be factored in how other people felt too. And if somebody said, oh, I, I want my article to be training the robots of the future, you know, I probably would have had to build some kind of system for that. I mean, it probably wouldn't be that hard. It's just, a, you know, altering that robots.txt. But, you know, it's easy to make big pronouncement just by yourself. <laughs> More people are involved. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. Good for you, Chris, citing your sources on uh, <laughs> yeah, where, where yeah, that CSS like, trick stuff came from. Well, I, I like the opt-in versus the opt-out. That, that, that's kind of the WordPress hot drama of this week, right? Kachung. Yeah, isn't that interesting, too, that like if you're a big enough company, then you get to go shake hands in secret rooms and say, like, I'll give you our content for a million dollars, you know? But like, what, what a weird meeting. Because it, it seems like they have power. But do they really? Because it's like, can't the, it's just on the internet. It's already been slurped up. I guarantee it has. So like, what, are you just trying to avoid a lawsuit at that point or what? Like, what, is, what power does WordPress think they have in this in this secret meeting? Yeah, I don't know. But then, you know, <clears throat> to be fair, uh, Matt was like, I'm on sabbatical and I'll tell you my answer in three months. So in May, <laughs> yeah, we'll get an answer on what's going on with WordPress and OpenAI just for journalistic That's integrity. Fine. Yeah, I, d so. I do feel like if you're going to if you're going to not comment for three months, then like not comment for three months. <laughs> Thank you, WordPress, for sponsoring the like, show. I'm clearly apprised <laughs> of this situation, and I will let you know yeah. once the heat yeah, has yeah. passed. That's weird. Hey, Jim, you've been talking about uh, de design engineering. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a, the case for design engineers part two came up. Uh, a sequel to your 2023 banger, case for design engineers part one. <laughs> <laughs> That was a 10-year gap on that one? No, one one year. One Just year. 23, I, right? Did I say anyway? Uh what, well, 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 oh, I see, well, I see. Why why again? What why is why is it back in your mind? Good question. This is always a little bit on my mind, mainly because I, I guess at the end of the day I consider myself a design engineer. And um, you know, when I was back in uh in 2022, after uh, when Remix got acquired and then I ended up not going over in the acquisition, it was kind of like, well, now what do I do? And I honestly hadn't really been in that position in my career for a long time. I'd always just kind of been like, hey, come over here. Oh, okay. And so I was like, oh, I have to like actually submit like a resume and stuff, I guess, again. And so it was trying to figure out how to navigate that whole process. And as I began sort of talking to people, I quickly realized that there were a lot of companies that sort of had this attitude of like, wait, you're doing design. Why would you be writing code? We don't need someone who does that. Like if you're in Figma, you should just be in Figma or vice versa. Oh, you're a developer, but you want to do design stuff too. That doesn't make sense. Like we have people who can do design stuff. We just want you to be a developer. Um, and that sort of it seemed like was the attitude of a lot of companies or at least the people that I talked to is they couldn't quite grasp why you would want someone who does both because well we have people for that we have people for one we have people for the other and we want you to be one or the other and so it kind of kicked off in my brain this this 
desire to try and articulate the value of someone who does both and where they fit. And I, and I think it's a fit as much as for the company as it is, you know, anything else. Some people are just structured to be, to be that way. And I try to articulate, I guess, just the rationale for why it would be beneficial to have someone who can do both. Um, and why that would be beneficial for whatever it is that you're building. And so that's sort of where this was born out of. And I honestly could write way more about it. Um, but it does come from, you know, that thought that I feel like people have of like, why would, why would you, we hire someone who does both? Yeah. Your, your example in your part two post was just like this little slidery thing before, or after kind of slider, you know, and, and just like, where does, what happens at the micropixel level, you know, whereas like, you know, a designer very much cares and the developer probably doesn't care. And so like, how do you, you need somebody who super cares about both, you know, kind of to make it great, right? It is interesting, right? Like Jim's got this picture of a one pixel line separating two areas or a one pixel ish, you know, like a very thin line, right? And then a designer might just draw the line, and the developer might be like, you know, div ID equals separator and then bind the separator to that one pixel line being like the designer did their job. That's how they want it to look. The developer did their job. They bound the interaction to that. Which one of those two people's jobs is that that's like too, th- too thin or that like what what are the events that trigger it? And like, how does it unget triggered? And what does the hover event like? And what kind of cursor does it turn into? And there's all these things that are like pretty specific. Some of that is UX, I guess. And then some of it is like a little bit like you need actually some technical know-how to, to kind of know how to answer those questions maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at is I, I don't think that if you're exclusively a designer or exclusively a developer or exclusively a UX person, that you have the tools to really get into what you want to build. Like if you're a designer, how do you express what you want to happen on this interaction? It's so interactive of like, I move the mouse over and it's like, okay, so is there an affordance that happens when I move it over? Like does the cursor change and how does it happen? Is it on mouse in or is it on mouse down? And when does it happen immediately or on delay? And like, do you get some kind of an affordance with that? And it, like, is it just the line itself or is there like some kind of snapping involved when you're dragging or is there a target area for when you hover over it that the interaction, like there's so many tiny little questions here that if you use, I feel like if you use what you would consider really great software, you just feel and that, oh, this feels right. Yeah, that's exactly what I expect when I move my mouse here and want to drag this thing. It works the way I want. And like, how would you express all of that stuff if you were just doing static mocks in Figma or even prototyping it in Figma? Or if you were a developer, you know, how would you go back to the designer and be like, okay, well, it should do this on hover and what color is that? And, and then when I mouse down and maybe it's this and like, what color is that and how thick should it be? And like neither sort of individual has, I feel like the tools available to completely express what they want to do. And ultimately, the only way you can do that is is building it in the medium that you're shipping it in, which is the browser. And that's why I feel like... Prototype, you say? Yeah, prototype. Those might be useful. Somebody cared about those enough. Um, (laughs) It gets to the idea of feeling, right? Like, like how is this supposed to feel when you click this little thing and have this interaction? And I think about like 
like car design or, or like, you know, you, anyone can build a car. We can all build a car. It's just <laughs> some electricity, some motors and some wheels and a platform in a steering wheel, hopefully, you know, but like, how does it feel to drive that car is the engineering part, right? Like, how does it take a corner? What does it sound like when it starts up? You know, that's like, um, kind of engineering, you know, if it goes and like, sounds like a bag of bolts being poured on the floor, like that's not going to make you feel good about your purchase or whatever. So yeah. Like how do you spec design or how do you spec feel? Like, how do you, yeah. And, and is that a higher order need or basic need? Did you know what I mean? Like, is it, am I talking about a luxury thing or am I talking Ooh, about like, that's good. This is table stakes for identity and brand or whatever. Yeah, maybe somewhere in the middle because it, it it does really matter. I mean, you could design an app that just is feature for feature for some other app, but doesn't get these little feel things right. And it will be way worse. You know, people just intuitively know like, no, this is maybe without even being able to articulate it. You know, if you have these little one pixel lines and I'm just circling one thing, but obviously we're talking more generically about just the, all these little interactive things and in apps if none of them have like good polish to them about how they use your it's it might be dead before you even get going you know it's got to be really compelling otherwise i think it's the you know like you can have right. nothing but it's got to be like very compelling content or whatever right i think most companies now just get lucky right you get somebody who who sweats these details in the door and they work on it, but nobody, they just, they just happen to have landed in the right place, you know, or somebody with, with taste high enough knows that these details are important so that they make it happen. But it certainly doesn't have a name like a gym is giving it. I've never seen a, never seen a job opening for a design engineer. Yeah. Do those exist? I, they've got to exist. I feel like I've heard people call themselves that. I, I think they're ex- they exist more and more, but, but it's very, but like, it takes, again, a company that understands what they're looking for, you know, like it's, it's hard. I, or I think that's where I think, wonder if it's kind of a higher order thing. Like people don't know they need it until they do, you know, but, um, you know, it's, or, or even getting it. I just wrote an article, uh, sent it over to Chris about high contrast mode. Um, you know, it's like, you know, you don't know you need or you can use high contrast mode to like draw borders. You can do like border color transparent. We were talking about it in the discord. Melanie brought this up, but you like, you can just use border color transparent instead of border zero to like, you, you basically have a transparent border now, but like in high contrast mode, when it strips out all the background colors and all the, everything, you don't just have floating text. You have a, a, a border around your buttons and like, that's a pretty cool feature, you know, but like, and that's like something I think a design engineer would know or do too. Just kind of like, hey, here's like, oh, I didn't know that. Does it co- it colorizes your your otherwise colorless borders? It'll it'll just draw a black line around, you know, or or whatever mm. white if you're in that's the cool. black on white or dark mode. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of like a very like, you know, you don't know that until you like have experimented or felt those, you know. So it's just a different world. So that's cool. How are we doing here? The other one I had written down was the was the uh, the RSS in, in HTML kind of thing. We already covered the 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 RSS angle a little bit, but 
it was a kind of an interesting thought from Jim. They're like, XML, really? I don't know if that was your, was that the intent? Like, is what a weird old format. And sure, JSON is a little nicer, but there's not a lot of movement in that direction necessarily. I mean, there's a little bit, but that's not particularly human readable. And maybe, uh, maybe you know, the chill format of HTML could be a, a follow-up to a new format for RSS. Yeah, that one was, I mean... I feel like people, I had a few people respond to me with that with very reasonable uh, comments of like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Like we already have XML. It's fine. And, and, and I don't disagree with that. Um, it, it, there's, it's, I guess it's that like purist in me that, gosh, dang it. Sometimes I wish he'd just shut up. Uh, won't let that like sit. And, and I think Dave, you did a post on this. I think it was the first time I saw it and you referenced, I can't remember who it was of like how to style your XML feed. So when somebody clicks on your RSS feed, it actually shows up in the browser and looks like something rather than just gobbledygook XML. Yeah, and yeah. It's just really great. And I was like, cool, I want to do that. And I got in there and I started trying to wrangle XML. And granted, it was like just one night after the kids had gone to bed. I'm like, I could do this real quick. And I just couldn't. And I gave up. And I thought, that's too hard. <laughs> and... Yeah. uh it, it was Darren Kay wrote this style your yeah. RSS feed, and um, it was you use this XSLT, which is like a XML style sheet template or whatever, and um, you can basically just reference it on your RSS feed, and it'll come out styled. The browser still some how miraculously knows how to <laughs> lay out the web page with this weird style sheet. So I don't know, that's weird. Which is cool, and I and I wanted to do that, but I just ended up giving up, and and then yeah, then I just started thinking, wait, I feel like at this point HTML is one; it's going to be around for a very long time, probably longer than XML. Are we still going to be doing like feed URLs in XML in in fifty years? Like, can't we just get something that when you click on feed, it just shows up in the browser and it's understandable to a normal human being, and then they can just Oh yeah, cool. I I kind of know what I'm looking at. I'll dump that in my feed reader. Yeah, that's so tricky. I remember getting an email from that same guy and, and writing back and be like, I, "This is weird. I know I'm not a normal person, but like when I see the styled pages, then I like then I don't know that it's a feed. It doesn't register as a feed to me. It looks looks like a web page. Whereas when I see that gross XML, I'm like, "Ooh, that's exactly what I'm looking for." You know, <laughs> not that I look at each one. Usually I trust it and just copy the link when people say this is my RSS link or just let it be auto discovered or whatever. But the styled feed, I feel like has limited utility. You know, like who who is that for? Like you should either look at my web page or, or give me the, I, I don't know. It's, it doesn't. I mean, that's a fair point to me. That's kind of like when you get the knockoff Doritos and they like it doesn't leave the little net gross stuff on your fingers. And like, <laughs> That's what I want. I want that gross, like that I know it's authentic. There's a user experience issue though, you know, like just just like when you see RSS in RSS feed, an XML file, you think I, I broke the computer. Like <laughs> I have messed up a big one. You know, it's like when you like send HTML with the wrong mime type, you know, it's like, Oh, whoops. You know, uh, I'm thinking back to my PHP days, but, um, it was, yeah, I, there's some broken feeling about it, but like, but it doesn't make it easier. I agree. It's like, 
okay, well, cool. You got to this RSS feed, but now it looks like a web page. But browsers used to do better. Didn't Firefox like a, used to apply some general styling to it and be like, you could put a little banner at the top that said, this is a feed. Safari had a RSS yeah. reader inside of it. It was awesome. That was awesome. That's wild. Uh, IE 5.5 for Mac had 5.5, weird, but it existed. Had a feature where you could like say like, hey, I'm going to bookmark this website. Tell me if it updates. And it would like go ping it every day or every hour or whatever. And like, and it would come back and say if it was different, you know, it was very cool. Like that, that's cool. Why don't we go back to that? You know, instead we're like, notification badges that's the way to do it. <laughs> i don't want that but i guess that would work but i feel like safari is the if i remember right they're like the worst now because if you click on xml feed you don't even see anything it just says like do you want to download this file and you can't even oh, see it offers you to download no oh that's, that's bad at least chrome shows you like the xml ugliness yeah was the pushback that uh, if you just use html and said it's like not strict enough uh, HTML is just the Wild West, right? Like, there's like not that I'm some XML lover, but it's like very like it's got to be like this. That's where, well, when implementing the my ultimately HTML feed <laughs> that I have, I just ended up. Everyone's like, "Oh, microformats," and I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess I kind of remember those things." And I actually already had them on my blog, and so then I just put a. It's funny because the ultimately the HTML feed that's on my page now is basically like what a blog used to look like in 2008 of just here's the 10 latest here's the content of the entire post and then you just would paginate through them that's basically what this is and it's just the 10 latest ones yeah do you think and you so you, but you have that and you have it's not like they're the same page right you like intentionally yeah. made a separate version of your site that is that way which i think is fine but i wonder if there's a you know if it's just micro formats, those were kind of designed to be like you sprinkle them in your real website and they had some utility there. I wonder if you could just make actual websites. The, thing. I, I, the reason I'm bringing it up is, because you know, one of the things that it always annoyed me about AMP and many other things, the Apple News format and the Facebook weird format. Remember that era? That's a great era to be over. When all the discussions were like, y'all should make like four versions of your website to satisfy all of our requirements. And uh, people were mad about it for lots of different reasons. But that was always my number one was that like, I don't want to make four or five versions of my website to satisfy all your requirements. That's not tenable. We just went through this era of responsive design where it was like, we're making two different versions of our website for mobile and and not mobile, that's stupid. We should make one and have it work for everything. Like we just went through that. <laughs> so like to, to have all of a sudden be like, nope, you, you got to make a special amp one too. I always thought that was so annoying. But at the same time, I'm not bothered by having this XML version of my website, which also is kind of the same. So I feel a little contradictory in that way i get that i mean that's why i didn't want to do this because it was like uh, this is just i already got a json feed and an xml feed why do i need another feed but at the same time yeah it was i didn't want to do xml i was like can't we, can't we just do html for everything and figure out a way to just do html i don't know it was basically just an exploratory thing i i still maintain if they would have called amp rss3 i would have probably been on board and um but, whoops. 
So <laughs> Google, call me. You, <laughs> if you want to do this whole thing where you suck up everybody's content, slurp it, and then train your AIs on it, which I think is what they were doing. Uh, <laughs> just call me. Whoa. Call me. AMP was an early AI training tool. Oh, oh buddy. You want to get one. your tinfoil hat out, bro. Yeah. I got some conspiracies. <laughs> Geminam. Oh, um, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, th- what, that was, that was pretty good mouth blogging. Is there any, uh, reader questions or uh, other blog posts you want to bring up? We didn't do the state one. We can do that one real quick. Which one was the state one? The state one was that, uh, Dave, you blogged about very different things, but they were both about UI as a function of something. And Dave said it's a function of state, which was, I don't think you linked to that, that, that but there was a, Who's the React guy? He had a one that was like UI as a function of state and data and, and talked about stuff. And so I, I think this was like a little blog theme going on. But Dave's post was all about how much state there is. Sure, there's some stuff like, you know, is this button clicked or not? But there's global state, page component state, element state, second party state, device state, browser state user state, third party state. There's just any list. Do you, what, what do you have? 200 bullet points on it's, this thing? Yeah, I mean, easy, I think. I, I could pretty overwhelming. Kept going. Yeah. <laughs> and depressing, to be honest. Well, I, yeah, a couple of people felt depressed, but and I apologize. But it's, I also, I, I just back to this whole design engineering thing, like hire people who are good at this, you know? Like it's, it's, it's big enough that it takes dedicated brains to do it well you know you can't just you you're not gonna find somebody like who's super good (laughs) maybe i'm generalizing like somebody who's just like a python wizard you know (laughs) just training ai who's just gonna be able to do this ui stuff competently i just i think it's so different than than what you're you know it's apples and oranges at some point, you know? I have a, a post, actually, that links to that one of yours, Dave. I haven't published it yet. I was going to publish it. I don't know, the next one. But it, it's this idea of... Um, it, it's it's notes from a talk that I read by uh, Peter Peter Van Hardenberg, I think is his name. He's the ink and switch guy, local first software, all that. Um, and he talk, he's talking about like complexity in software. And one of the things he talks about is like how independent dimensions of your software multiply problems. So when you're building a web app, you have three browsers, you have Chrome, Safari, and Firefox, and then you have different platforms, macOS, Windows, Android, iOS. Then you have different screen sizes, which if you oversimplify is desktop, tablet, mobile, and then you have different network speeds, Wi-Fi, 4G, 3G, whatever. And all these different dimensions sort of multiply against each other. Like if you're talking, okay, that's three browsers, times four latest versions of each, times four platforms, times three screen sizes, times four network speeds. Like that's like thousands of different combinations of things. And and then if you if you take Dave's post, which just lists out way more pieces of like variability, that's like millions of combinations of of things that can happen. And um it, it's just kind of insane when you think about it. And and he, he kind of points out like that's sort of why Electron apps are popular because it's it's oh, that's seems funny. to uh, it takes that binary tree and cuts a couple of branches off of it. Yeah, well, what was interesting to me about it is he, he kind of says, you know, people see Electron apps and they think, oh no, like people don't like using them. But you know, it, it's sort of like 
building different applications for different native platforms, that's really hard. But even harder is like managing the people who are going to build those different like platforms for, for different. Mm. And so that's why Electron Apps, it's like you can have one team that works on something that works across all of these, right? And so it's supposed to bring down that variability, but still even then it's just an insane amount of things as Dave, I think Dave's post illustrates really well. What was it? Why do people hate them so much? I feel like that's a lot John of like, it's, it's cultural. <laughs> um, I'm also Yankees. Um, but I, I think there's like a, um, yeah, it's like Electron, I think for like a small team that is, you know, trying to just like not have five different OS OSs covered, you know, for this native application. And then like is just trying to like iterate fast. You know, everyone wants this right once run everywhere runtime, like Java or whatever, or React Native, that's its big pitch, right? Too. But like guess what is kind of already that is like a web browser is is running on multiple platforms. It runs on Linux, it runs on Windows, it runs on Mac, it runs on iOS kind of, and then it runs on Android. <laughs> like maybe the web browser is the right way. Maybe it's the better way. You know, we we give up sir, some performance flurps, I'm sure, right? Like uh, you give up some FPS or something or memory thresholds to Chrome. It seems like a good deal. And I don't know, that starts tying into the, why do we need Electron? PWAs, everybody. But except not available, asterisk not available in Europe. So, um, mm. yeah. It, it, it was kind of related to Dave's post, but, and Dave, you linked me to an interesting article. The one that I wrote on mine was just UI is a function of your organization. The idea being like, you can only build a UI that's can deliver on like what you're, organization is capable of delivering on yeah yeah and I, the pizza tracker is such a having worked at a company that wanted to build a pizza tracker for not pizza but something else it was such a like i sat in so many meetings where you know the designers that we had, had on the project were sort of like here's how simple it is it's five steps there's this and then this and then this. And then once we got to the like rubber hitting the road on the ground of people who are going to have to actually deliver on all of these things and getting that tracker to show up, it was ended up being like, okay, there's step three and that could take two to six weeks. And it's like, what, <laughs> what is the point of having a tracker at this point? Like that is not useful to anyone. Um, and, and the, and the, you linked me, Dave, to that article about some guy who like went to he's, a Domino's. Yeah. And staked out his own Domino's and put an order in that was kind of weird. So like he yeah. knew it was his pizza and he staked it out and followed the whole pizza tracker chain. So, and basically Whoa. found out that it wasn't, you know, <laughs> it wasn't literal. It's just a big lie. Yeah. His conclusion was it was not real and very good evidence that it was just made up. And like, so either it's made up. Or Domino's made something very cool, which is also possible. Like, do they have QR codes on every whatever pizza box and it's fully tracked to Diana who's delivering your pizza, you know? Either they did something cool or they did something genius in that every other company, large pizza company, had to replicate this functionality for millions and millions of dollars. Mm. And... uh like they basically, I mean, isn't it, or isn't it like in the middle? Like it doesn't have to be all a lie or all true. It could be like, it does know when it leaves the store, but that's about it. 
on all the rest of the stuff is is made up or, or whatever like or that it's based on a bunch of averages or whatever i think it's based on averages this was sort of the idea but i don't yeah i can post a link and just for so everyone can read it and that the link that dave sent me was interesting because it, it linked to some other article i think it was from the atlantic see we're just following links links are fun links are fun it was like some article in the atlantic that talks about uh, what was the word it was like benevolent deception or something like that. This like tactic that designers can use to make it seem like your pizza was ordered. And then, you know, John is preparing it. He's putting your pepperonis on and then it's going in the oven and it's now it's out and it's getting a quality assurance check. And like none of that stuff's actually real, but it's being shown as if it were real. And that people are like, yeah, that's okay. Like, we're fine with that. Like, <laughs> it's not the truth, but uh, it, it, I, I don't know. I guess it calms people's fears of like, where's my pizza? I want to know where it is. And is it going to be here soon? Versus just like, we received it. It left the store. It should be there soon. Yeah, I wonder. Because you're like, it's probably true. Or if it's time, it's definitely true at some point. Because my pizza is definitely going to get here. I wonder if that's like, because you're so used to being lied to. You're so used to like putting a swimming suit in your cart. And then two days later, having me like, there's only one of these swimming suits left. Do you want to have it be yours? And you just, there's just that feeling that it's, you're lying to me that I don't know that you're like, well, at least somebody really did put pepperoni on my pizza at some point. Cause I ate it. It's better than being lied to. Well, it's, uh, isn't it sort of like security theater kind of, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, well, everyone stands uh, goes through this line. But if you pay us sixty whole dollars, you don't have to do the uh, the super secure line that makes everything uh, take a long time. So for sixty dollars, everything's okay. A lot of theater. Back in the Wufu days, you know, when you signed up for a new account, there was like a it was a good 20, 30 seconds, I think, after you signed up, that just this long animation played that said like. Had little silly things on a dinosaur running across, and it told you that it was building you a database. And who knows? I forget all the stuff that it said it was doing, but it wasn't doing any of that stuff. <laughs> it was just yeah, waiting. That, uh, that's an interesting phenomenon <laughs> to me. Like, I mean, everybody's experienced this, even with progress loaders that, you know, they make it seem like it's actually like pulling the server that's doing the work, but that's not happening. They're just, you know, guessing. Oh, we're going to say we think this takes 20 seconds. So that's what will make the progress indicator sort of fill up over time. And I don't know, it kind of works on our like primitive brains, I guess, of like, okay, yeah, I can wait. But even though it's not actually representative of reality at all. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I like this function of org thing because it is, it's like this sleight of hand, right? It's like you can have the best UI, but if your company cannot deliver on that, it doesn't matter, right? Like, like, and, you know, I think that's what got like Microsoft Windows messed up. You know, they tried to be like, here's a progress meter for your file going. And then it like took forever. You know, people hated it and it felt slow all of a sudden and people thought it was bad. And then you go try your friend's Mac and it's got a little beach ball that spins when it's thinking about something, not like a loader that's stuck, you know, and everyone's like, oh, the beach ball's better, man. Look at that. So it's just like, what can your org deliver on is so important, you know? So. And I think it's a it's a disconnect that I've seen a lot between designers within an organization who end up sort of in a kind of a bubble where they're just like, yeah, I'm just going to imagine like the best thing possible, which is great. 
like it's good to be thinking those thoughts but then like there's ultimately this disillusionment of like we can't do that we can't deliver on that like it's going to take this person this long to put the rubber stamp on it and move it through like you're not just designing a UI, right? You're designing whole new processes within the organization and how people communicate and work together. And that's right. Yeah. I have a story like that from my history, but that's maybe for another time. <laughs> It'll take another 35 minutes. Uh, but I realize we're kind of at time here, but um, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And you have to cut it short. We'll have to get you on again. But um, uh, for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Well, you can go to my website. Uh, maybe soon it will actually be clear when you go to my homepage that there are different subdomains that you can go to uh, <laughs> from my blog or my notes. Uh, yeah, I need to do that. Thanks for the tip, Chris. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, jim com. Nice. That's where you can go. Uh, Jim's got uh, also not, I don't know. I'm going to throw this out. Jim's got a lot of cool ideas on his blog that you should probably steal. Anyway, like tracking links, what, who he links to and all this stuff, articles on Hacker News and stuff like that. There you go. Just go. Anyway, uh, go check out Jim's blog. Uh, it's blog.jim-nielsen.com. And then, um, yeah, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast your choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out. Show. Follow us on Mastodon. Ooh, 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 ooh. And then uh, join us where the real party is over in the Discord, patreon.com slash show. And Chris, you got anything else you like to say? Hmm. The link. The URL. Feel free to link to us. <laughs>